Francis Femi Kuti are your NYC Radio Live. Alright, how you doing? Thanks for listening. David Ellenbogen here. The show is NYC Radio Live. Great to have you here. Um, I'm sure there's tons of other options out there. <laughs> there are. I, I think most of them are... Um, well, a lot of them are kind of like propaganda stuff. So, it's it's. I hope you find this... Um, these kind of conversations and this kind of music are a respite from uh, the people who are trying to control your brain. Anyway, uh, this is a really cool podcast uh, interview with Randy Weston, a, a jazz legend. And this has just been sitting on my hard drive for like eight years yeah what you'll hear is from uh, from a guy who was just around as this thing called jazz was really solidifying you know at least a certain element of it um bebop was a new thing <laughs> when he was when he was uh, young and upcoming and he rubbed shoulders with people like Charlie Parker and we played with played with Charlie Parker he, he, Dizzy Gillespie he, he's close with Max Roach um, we begin the interview looking at a picture of him with um, Langston Hughes and um as I'm setting up, he gets a call from the legendary percussionist, Big Black. And, um, yeah, I was younger. I didn't know as much stuff. I mean, not that I know much now, but he mentions, uh, he shows this picture, and it's him and and the great poet Langston Hughes, and it was taken by Cartier-Bresson, who I didn't. No, now I know he's one of the great, great photographers. Um, an amazing photographer. Anyway, that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a few interruptions in the interview. I leave it all in. I just, I don't know. It's special. I think this this could be uh, this could be part of some master book. And. Um, I just think, since it looks like jazz is going to be something that's going to be around for a few more centuries, it's really important to get the, the words from the horse's mouth, so to speak, <laughs> or just, you know, get a sense of what the feeling was, what, how did people behave, what was, what was at the essence of this thing. So... Yeah, um, you can get deeper into Randy Weston by checking out all of his incredible work and also the, the autobiography that had just come out 
um, or was about to come out before we spoke, which is called African Rhythms. And uh, he's just a lovely guy. I still run into him every once in a while, and he gives me a big hug. Real sweetheart, um, wonderful person, great musician, and I think you'll grow to love him as well um, as you hear his stories and um, be a part of this uh, intimate conversation. Hanging with Randy Weston at his, at his house in Brooklyn. Here we are. Enjoy. <laughs> Musician or just uh, somebody from the neighborhood? Yeah, no, Big Black. Oh, Big Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait. Master. Yeah, he was on one of you. He was on that. Yeah, we worked together three years. Yeah. Great, great percussionist. I haven't talked to him in about three years. He just called. <laughs> hey, maybe we'll get him uh, in on the show. Yeah. yeah. He was on that, your uh, the Uhuru album, right? No, he's not no. on Uhuru. He's on the Spirit of Our Ancestors. Oh, okay. And he's on my original uh, uh, sextet with Booker Irvin. Wow. Ray Copeland and Big Black, Lenny McBrown, and Bill Wood. Yeah. Master. Nobody played like Big Black, man. <laughs> wow. So, uh, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to indulge myself because you're the first person I've met who knew Langston Hughes. So, could, could you kind of paint a picture of how, how you got together with him and... and I met him up in the Berkshires, ironically, when I went up there in the early 1950s. And I, I went to this place called the Music Inn, met mm -hmm. Marshall Stearns. And Marshall had such a global African concept, like nobody. Right. He was a critic that started off in West Africa. So you don't know jazz music? You got to start in West Africa. Don't sweat it. Go ahead. Uh, Langston, he brought Langston Hughes up there. Mm -hmm. He brought everybody from Candido to Olatunji to Mahalia Jackson. In other words in the music in the early 1950s. Marshall Stearns had this global concept of African culture. And I met him, that's where I met Langston. Right, yeah. and then, and he was about 20 years older than you or something, 24 uh, years I, I forgot the age. But, yeah, but he was, uh, I mean, you were in your 20s and he must have been in his 40s, something I guess. like that. I guess. Um, yeah, I he that. always looked young to me, I never thought yeah. about his age. Okay. That's his picture there from Cartier-Bresson. Right. Cartier-Bresson gave me that photograph. In Paris. And did you, first of all, when I picture him, I always see him in a fedora and a, and a tie. Was he always? No. No? That, that's, <laughs> that's how I know Langston. Okay. Oh, so this picture, uh, the middle picture? Or no, the right no, picture? that's my father and oh, okay. mother. It's on the right. On the right. Oh, okay. That's done by the great French photographer, oh, Cartier okay. Bristol. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, masterpiece. And that's him up there when they made the stamp, mm -hmm. up on top, at the Schoenberg. I played for that. Right. And plus, I also played his funeral. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah. I read the excerpt. I mean, it sounds... Yeah. So you guys had some kind of special relationship. Yes, because we loved our people. Yeah. We love our people, and we wanted to document our people. Plus, Langston Hughes, was he was into the music. Right. He was a great writer, but a lot of writers didn't care about the music. But he loved the music, and he loved the blues. You know. Yeah, the weird blues. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I imagine, in a sense, that like you were uh, kind of something that he was looking for, and he, was so, and, and he was something that you were looking for, because he was an older guy who had these ideas about 
Africa and, and the importance of music. And you were you were like the embodiment of something that he was into, which was you were a real musician. No, not at that time. No, not no, yet. At that time, I was not a musician. Really? I mean, I, was, I would play piano, but I had no idea I was going to be a professional musician. Uh, that happened up in the Birches when Orrin uh, Keaton was in Bill Ground, Riverside Records. I did my first recording. Mm -hmm. But I was a breakfast cook at this hotel up there. But I was into Africa. I was into African mm -hmm. music. So when I met Langston, you know, he was like a king. But I never thought of age at all. Right. Never crossed my mind. Because he was always the same for me. Yeah. 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 That's my work. Yeah, okay. Hi, baby. It's okay. It's all right. This is Dave. This is my wife, nice Fatou. So you're saying, um, so at this time you, you were just kind of dabbling in, the music was a side thing? Well, or, it's a long story. I was in the restaurant business at the time. Right. And then I, that's when the drugs hit the, hit the black community. Uh -huh. And I wanted to get out. Right. So a friend of mine sent me to the Berkshire. I went up there. I did all kinds of jobs, you know. And I, I was working with uh, two ladies at, at a hotel up in Lenox, Mass. And they told me, we, we hear there's some jazz at the Music Inn. Mm -hmm. So we walked there, like in a little forest, about one or two miles. When I walked in, there was Marshall Stearns playing King Porter's, playing Benny Goomer's King Porter's stuff and playing uh, uh, Fletcher Henderson's King Porter's stuff and asking people, do you hear the difference? So that's when I met Marshall. Mm. And at that time, I was playing a little bit like Monk, you know. Right. And he knew up to Bud Powell. He didn't know too much about Monk. So we, we just got together very close. Oh. And at that point, he brought all these incredible artists to this place for about 10 straight years. You know, everybody from Dan Burley playing skiffle piano, Mahalia Jackson, he, he brought up everybody, John Lee Hooker, to wow. show the whole collaboration of African culture, you see. So I met Candido there, I met Ola Tunji there, met Langston Hughes there, so it was a wonderful place, wonderful, hmm. yeah. And, and when did you make the break to saying, all right, I can do this full time. I can make a living not till, playing the piano. Not till uh, I was 29 years old. Because you have to understand, at that time, was the royalty of piano. Right. All the, all the masters, all the, the giants of piano. From Willie the Lion to U.B. Blake to Bud Powell to Monk, Errol Gardner, Nat King Cole. I mean, Errol Hines was all the giants at that time. So I never thought I was going to be a pianist. Right, right. Yeah. And, and in your words, because that, that first album, you, you do hear a lot of Monk, the Cole Porter album. What, in your words, what, what did you pick up from, from him? Whoa, what did I pick up from Monk? Well, I have to go back before that. See, Coleman Hawkins, that was my idol, Coleman mm -hmm. Hawkins. When he did Body and Soul, it was one of the greatest masterpieces of music up until today I've ever heard. Right. So I heard Monk play with Coleman Hawkins. That's how I discovered Monk. So with Monk, I heard space, I heard imagination, mm -hmm. but I also heard magic in his piano. In other words, no sounds are not, not there. <laughs> so I was attracted to that, you know? So that's how I got together. And I went to Monk's house, spent about three years with him, just hanging out, hanging out, watching him, going to rehearsals, listening, you know? 
So he made a big impact upon me. And so he would be discussing things uh, other than music, I imagine. No, we didn't discuss. We didn't talk about Just music. hung out. Just hung out. Yeah. See, in them days, you didn't, you didn't talk too much, you know. You just watch and listen. So that, that makes me think of another time that I'm so curious about, which is um, Justice League, which was also in your, um, in, in your upcoming book, uh, which is a time at Max Roach, where it seems like every, every hipster in town was, was in there. Can, can you describe the people who were there and, and what the, the scene was kind of like? Well, you see, Brooklyn has always been very community. Minded Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Plus, the advantage of New York City, all the great artists have to come here. You can be great in Detroit, you can be great in Chicago, you can be great in Los Angeles, but you all have to come here to prove yourself. But those of us who lived in Brooklyn or born in Brooklyn, they'd all come. So Max, Max Roach, was, he was so far ahead. He was playing with Charlie Parker at that time. His rhythm section was Duke Jordan, Brooklyn, mm -hmm. Tommy Potter, Brooklyn. So at Max's house, I met Charlie Parker, I met Dizzy, I met Miles Davis, I met George Russell, because his apartment was about two blocks from, my, from the restaurant that I ran, you see, mm -hmm. because my father, he had other restaurants. I took this place over three years. And at the restaurant, we had the hippest jukebox, you can imagine. All the modern music, Saravon, Tad Dameron, Dizzy, Duke, but we also had Shostakovich, Prokofiev, mm -hmm. uh, Marius de Milho. So people would come, we were open 24 hours a day. So all the musicians would come 3 o'clock in the morning, 12 o'clock, midnight, you know. And I had a gallery in the back of the restaurant, never dreaming I was going to be a professional musician. And that's before I went to the Berkshires, you see. Wow. Yeah. So it was just, it was seeping in. <laughs> it was destiny. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, one of the things that I point out, this was our traditional music. A lot of people don't realize it. They talk about jazz music, but this music was our survival. We had the black church on Sunday. We had the big bands. We had the blues group. But it was all our way of life, you see, from, from Max Roach to a Huey Blake, you know. So I was lucky to, to be involved with all these people. And I would do what a lot of young people would do. We would just go to their house and sit in the corner and watch and listen. You'd ask a few questions, but not too many. We just watch and listen. So at, the, at this restaurant, um, the, these guys would come by, Charlie Parker or whoever. Right. And they would put on, it would be late at night, they'd put on Shostakovich or something well, like I that. Well, I would. It was a jukebox. Uh-huh. Right, jukebox. right, right. But I got the best records on this jukebox. Yeah. Yeah, so from blues, you name it. Everything was on this box, you know. And the, the few clips that I've heard of, of Charlie Parker talking and... It seems like he's got an intelligence that's that's almost intimidating. Is that is that how you describe it? And well, you see, all all of those all of those gentlemen, they were they were down to earth. No ego trip with these guys. I mean, they were brilliant, but they never pretended that they were brilliant. Hmm. Yeah, they just acted like you and I. Charlie Parker, one of the most spiritual people I ever met. Max Roach made me play for Charlie Parker in his house. And I was scared to death. I said, I got to play for Charlie Parker. What? You know? No, they, they, were, they were beautiful people. Because, you know, going back to, to, to African traditional music, because we come out of Africa. We brought that, that spirituality from the continent of Africa. That meant that there was no separation between the people and the music, you see. 
So you would hang out with those guys even if you didn't play a note. You know, it was just a love for the music and a right. great respect for the musicians. The musicians had a, played a very high role in the community. Because of segregation, we couldn't get out of the black community. So that was our way of survival. And all this music was a way for us to keep our spirits up. And that's why they were so fantastic. Whether it was a, a, a Jimmy Rushmore or Count Basie, whether it was a Mac Driller, whether it was a Dizzy, but that's what the music was all about, you see. So we had a lot of love, a lot of respect. And as I said, the community were very close. Hmm. Can, can you elaborate on, on what you mean that uh, Charlie Parker was one of the most spiritual people that you ever met? You can't describe spirit in, in words. He just was. Uh, uh, one good example of Charlie Parker, after I met Max, after not, I knew Max, but after I met Charlie Parker and played for him, I didn't think he knew who I was. And, I, and Max made me play some of my songs, because I had written a couple of songs, but I had no idea I was going to be a professional musician. But Max heard something, you know. And uh, so I went to myself and a drummer named Maurice Brown. We went to uh, the Royal Roost, which was on Broadway, for a jazz club. We went down here, Charlie Rouse and Tad Dameron and Fats Navarro. And Charlie Park was at the bar, and he saw me coming down. And he called me. I didn't think he knew who I was. He called me like that and told myself and a young drummer who studied with Max Roach, whose name was Maurice Brown, and he said, come with us, come with me. And he took us upstairs, put us in a taxi, took us to 52nd Street, took us to a nightclub. I forgot which one, the Three Deuces, I'm not sure which club. And there was a band playing, a small group playing in the club. He walked in. In the middle of the tune, told a piano player to get up and told a drummer to get up. Now, you don't do that to a musician. You right. don't do that. But with Charlie Parker, everybody, the piano player got up, the drummer got up. He told me to sit at the piano. He told my friend the drummer to sit at the drum. Took out his horn, played with us for 45 minutes, and walked out and left. Didn't say a word. <laughs> that was Charlie Parker. See, those guys didn't talk much. They were so brilliant that they didn't say anything. We just watched them. Like Monk, Charlie Parker, Dizzy, all these people. Giants. Giants. Wow. And, and Dizzy kind of played the role of almost the ambassador of this music, right? Because he kind of seemed to make a, the audience, he kind of worked with the audiences and the, outside the community a little bit more actively than say, Charlie Parker. We had a tremendous sense of humor, uh, uh, Dizzy. But Dizzy brought uh, the African-Cuban drummer, Shadow Poulsen. He brought the African drum back to the music. So Dizzy was very, very important. Plus, he had a lot of African titles in his compositions. He was a great arranger, composer, a master trumpet player. But the same way, you see Dizzy, make you laugh. Right. Yeah. Oh, these guys, are, you don't find anything like that no more. No, they were incredible people. Yeah, Miles Davis in his autobiography has a great story about um, having, there was a monkey that used to be in the set for some television show that was filmed on Times Square. It was a live TV, like a morning show. And Dizzy knew how to make the monkey go crazy with these faces. So, so it got to the point that as soon as he saw Dizzy, you know, the monkey would just start going crazy. So, Yeah, these were, they were our royalty. Without question. That's our royalty in this music. All the people that I mentioned, that's our royalty. 
you never touch them again. You never play anything better than those guys because they created a new way to play music. And the music was for the black community because remember, at that time was segregation. Right. So this music was always something to lift our spirits. And there was a hope between the black church, the blues, it was all African-American culture. And so they were fantastic people. And a lot of the, the stories I hear about Miles, you know, um, kind of, they're, they're, they are very different from the, the excerpt that I read from your book, which you tell this very tender story about Miles playing a, a tribute to, to Freddie Webster. So is there, is there a side of Miles that, has, that, that you got to see being on the inside? That, or is there a side to any of us right. as human beings? Yeah. We all got our sides. So, so these many stories of, of you know, maybe uh, him maybe being cold to some promoter or something like that. I mean, you, you, you experienced a much wider Well, that's wider life. That's life. Yeah. You know, we all have different personalities. Yeah. Of course. You know, but it's what we create, what, what, we, what we give, you know, what, what's important, you know. I mean, if you check out your personality or my personality, right. there's a good side, there's a bad side of all of us. Right. Depending upon who decides what's good and what's bad, yeah. But the most important is, is the end and product, you know. Miles Davis made a major contribution to our music, you see. Dizzy did, all these people, and that's the most important. So let's flash forward to, uh, well, I guess that you must have known that, that this, this Uhuru Africa was kind of like your, your big artistic statements, right? Your first big one. So uh, maybe you could tell a little about um, how that, that project came together. And... Well, we knew that we were African people. We knew this. Uh, it's passed down from our parents. See, because of slavery, because of racism, they tried to take Africa away from us, you see. But we knew we were an African people in America. And we have great love and great respect for our ancestors. That's the way we were brought up, you know. Respect the elders, respect the ancestors. So the continent of Africa was just finally starting to get independence from European colonialism. So all of us had to do something, you know. And in my mind, I wanted to create Uhuru Africa uh, because I wanted to have a big work of music with African people from different parts of the Western Hemisphere and Africa. That's why the rhythm section had Candido, Armando Praza from Cuba. We had Mabutuni Olatundi from Nigeria. We had Tutameke Sanga from Tanzania. We had Langston Hughes did the Freedom Poem. We had Melvin Liston. And we put together these group of people to show that we are the same people, despite the fact we've been taken to different parts of the Western Hemisphere. We speak different languages and wear different clothing. But that's what Uhu Africa was about. And that's why with Langston's poem, that's why I use Kiswahili. Because the image of Africa, Africa has no language, Africa has no history, you see. So that's why we choose Kiswahili with Langston's Freedom Poem. It was a statement, but I started before that. And my second recording with Art Blakey was called Zulu. Zulu is my first composition about Africa. And you also, uh, you start using kind of calypso rhythms on the very early albums, right? That was kind of the first experiment with, with bringing in some of these other, my, other rhythms. My father's from the Caribbean. Right. You see? So uh, Panama, Jamaica, growing up in Brooklyn, you know, uh, Sam Gill, the bassist, he's now been, to, been with the Denver Symphony Orchestra for 48 years. His people are from Barbados. Mm -hmm. So we simply drew from what our parents gave us, 
because our parents were the ones who knew about the music, not us. They took us to hear Duke Ellington and Billy Holiday and Count Basie. They're the ones who exposed us to Calypso music. We used to go to Calypso dances. In other words, the blues, from our parents, all the music was ours, all of it. So we go to black church on Sunday, that's ours. We go hear the Calypso, that's ours. We go hear the blues, that's ours. And that's how our parents brought us up. And they didn't say anything about it, they just did it. You know, it was just part of our culture. So with the, the albums, you're, you're starting with the, the Calypso rhythms, and then what, then I guess now you start getting this kind of like pan-African thing where you're taking up all these different African rhythms on that album. So did you actually sit down and, and kind of study these different rhythms? No, no, just lived it. Just felt it. Yeah. Lived it, lived it. Eating the food, hanging out with the old people. You see, our parents always told us that the elders had the knowledge, you see. So we always look for the elders, you see. Today, a lot of people, they don't want to know about the elders, but the elders had the secret. So we hung out with the elders. I go to Huey Blake's house on Stuyvesant Avenue. Huey's about 95, 90, I forgot. And sit down, he just tell me stories. And you just listen and absorb. Mm. It's more of, 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 of opening up your own cultural memory. That we are an African people, we'd only been taken away a few centuries. So when you talk to these different greats, you, you see the whole connection. You realize it's all African culture, all of it, you see. So you just draw what feels good to you. So I've been lucky to grow up with the Calypso, to grow up and go to Palladium, hang out with the cats from Cuba, go to the black church on a Sunday, the blues groups on the corner, big band rehearsals at 11 o'clock in the morning at a ballroom in Brooklyn. But for us, it was all our music, all of it. Yeah. Hmm. And then, and then after, I guess it was your, your first trip to Af uh, Nigeria, right? That was the first, when, when was that? 61, 1961. So that was, and I guess, was Alatunji your connection? No, the, it was an organization called American Society of African Culture. Uh -huh. They established a base in Nigeria to see what was the connection between African culture in America and African culture in Nigeria. So Langston Hughes was on that trip, Lionel Hampton, Nina Simone, Myself, Martha Flowers, Natalie Hendaris, uh, um, Hale Woodruff, Brock Peters, Jeffrey Holder, 29 of us. And we went, spent 10 days to see what the relationship was between the culture of African-American and African-Nigeria. And it was fantastic. And were you mostly in the cities or you, you went up to the yeah, Everything happened in Lagos. No, we didn't have time to go to different cities at that time. Right. Everything happened in Lagos. Uh-huh. And then I imagine there were some serious jam sessions and, and all that. Well, it was it was it was like tuning in with our place of origin. Yeah. As Langston said, our ancestral home, you see. So when I got there I was at home. I never left Africa. See, some of us never left. Spiritually, we never right. left. So when I went there, I hung out with Fella, mm -hmm. played with him when he played trumpet before he played saxophone. And, and spent time with the Nigerian musicians, spent time listening to traditional music. So for me, it was a dream for all of us to go back home. Now, I think this happened later, but I read an excerpt of your incredible experience. I guess this was in 77, visiting Fela. Yes. I, if you could kind of retell that experience, because that's, that's just an incredible story. Well, what... Uh, I mean, I, I think uh, you I went out... before that, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, 77 was 60 countries of African culture in Lagos for one month. 
20,000 artists. Of everything from the Aborigines from Australia, uh, music from Congo, from Sudan, from Kansas City, Africans in, in, in Europe, we all came together and spent one month. It was unbelievable. And the last concert was Stevie Wonder, Mary McKeeba, and Osabisa. So at the end of the one month, we said, hey, our music is different, but our music is the same, you see. So just like you show me these patterns, mm -hmm. huh? right. same source, same source, because music came out of Africa in the first place. Yeah. And in your story, I mean, Fail actually, in this time, he actually, he brought you on stage with him and was being very irreverent towards the government. Oh, we know Fela, yeah. But he was an incredible musician. And what was most important was how music can inspire people, how music can tell the truth about a people despite oppression. That was the key, his genius and his courage was the most important. You see, you can always have moments about musicians. You know, we are very uh, 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 free musicians. Right. So it can be all kind of funny stories about us. But the point is, what have we contributed to our people? This is the most, what's the most important. And, and Phelan was incredible. He was a fantastic man. Yeah. And his music, I mean, uh, when you first met him, it, was, it, it, it didn't really become what it became. You know, it was, if you hear those very early recordings from that period, it, it wasn't Afrobeat yet, you know. He was still experimenting with high life and stuff. Well, like I only that. met him in, we played together in 1963 uh -huh. when I went back to Nigeria. Wow. And he was playing trumpet at that time. Jazz. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, what happened after that, I don't know until I saw him again when I went back to Nigeria in 77. Right. And it was a whole, nother, a whole new bag. <laughs> yeah. But it's what happens. I mean, look at me. I mean, I started up not knowing I was going to be a pianist. But look what happens in life. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You have to believe and you have to respect your ancestors and your elders, you know, because they guide you, you know. So we've all been blessed that way because Fella's family is a very strong family in Nigeria. Very strong family, you see. So he didn't come out of nowhere any more than I came out of nowhere. My mother and father were very strong. And they gave us that foundation to keep us strong because Africa was occupied by colonialism. We were here... Uh, going through uh, uh, racism and slavery. So our family was extremely important. And that's why most of the most important musicians, composers I know, we write music about our family. Monk, Duke, all the masses write about our family. That's our foundation. It didn't just come out of the air. Because when you go to school, you don't get anything about African history. You get nothing about African culture in school. You go to Hollywood, you see Tarzan. You get nothing about Africa. So the home is so important. And that's why all of us were so strong, because we had the backing of our family. Now, at some point, uh, you actually ended up living for a few years in, in Morocco. Seven years. Seven years. So, so how, how did that develop, and, and what struck you? State like? Department tour. Uh -huh. uh, we did 14 countries in Africa. Morocco was the last country. I wanted to live in Africa. I want to be close to the traditional music. I've always had a sense of history. My father gave me that. He said, you can't speak a language until you learn the alphabet. And to learn the alphabet, you have to learn the letter A. And A is Africa. So for me to, for me to, to develop as a human being, I have to understand my mother and father, my great-grandfather going all the way back. So my father steered me that way. So I wanted to live in Africa to be close to the traditional people, 
closer traditional music. And as it turned out, I stayed in Morocco, was the last country, Rabat was the last concert. We had Chief Bay on drums, we had Ed Blackwell on drums, Bill Wood on bass, Clifford Jordan, tenor saxophone, Ray Copeland on trumpet. I took my son Azadine, with 15 at that particular time. Came back to New York, I didn't know what country, but Morocco sent me letters saying that people are crazy about your music, they want you to come back. Hmm. I went back and I stayed seven years. And you opened up a club out there? Yeah, I had an African Rhythms Club for three years in Tangier. Having music from, from Congolese singers to blues band from Chicago, the whole global African concert. Right. And did it take away from your time of, of practicing to, to run the club? Like, Well, you know, it's like music for us. It's not just playing music to be a, a star, to be an individual. Right. Music express the lives of our people, you see. And this is true of traditional societies. You go to any traditional society in Africa, you listen to certain music, that music is telling the story of the people. So our music has always been the same, you see. From a Chick Webb to a Louis Jordan to an Ella Fitzgerald, you name it, it describes African-American life, you see, or African life, how we survive, how we cook our food, the way we dance, the way we eat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and in, in Morocco, you, you seem to get deeper and deeper into the, the whole, the Nawa, traditional music and all that. So was there a moment that, that you got really struck by this music or, or what, when did you first uh, get... It happened in Nigeria. When I first heard traditional African music in Nigeria, mm -hmm. I said, hey, that's where we come from. That's why we play like we play. <laughs> Because the ancient Egyptians created the concept of music, going back thousands, thousands, thousands of years. You go down the Nile, you look at the ancient the monuments of Egypt, you see the drums, the trumpets, the, the string instruments, all over. So the whole concept of Africa, music came from Africa, and African people spread all over the world. And they took their music and rhythms with them, you know. So it's an incredible story. I mean, I could be, I could have 20 lifetimes right. and not understand Africa because it's the magic of nature. The continent itself is the most powerful spiritual place on the planet Earth. And when you trace African rhythm, African culture, Africa's been feeding the planet for a long, long, long time. You see? And when you, when you, uh, well, maybe could you, could you explain the, the, the Nawa music, what, what role it plays? What, what does it serve to do? Like all traditional music, they serve the role of the people. They are healers, storytellers, historians, which we are. You see, you listen to Duke Ellington, Black, Brown, and Beige. You listen to uh, Black and Tan Fantasy. You listen to Billy Strayhorn's Take the A Train. Each one of these songs tell a story about our people. So that comes out of African traditional society with the Ganawa people mm -hmm. who suffered slavery and also they fought as soldiers in Morocco. They served their community. And they are healers, they are spiritual people, they tell stories, they play games with music. So they function like all traditional music in Africa. They have the same function, to serve the people, to keep the history of the people alive, you see. And you had an experience with... Uh all, for the first time, all the different master musicians of the Nawa got together, I think about 30 of them. But what were those circumstances? And, and Well, 
I think that it's important for people to know the origin of things. Like I said to you before, the origin. In other words, there'll never be another Louis Armstrong. Never, you see. Because Louis, when he picked up that trumpet and had that sound, nobody got a sound like Louis Armstrong. He served that particular community at that particular time. And his music gave us hope, gave us courage, made us happy, made us smile, you see. So he's finding the same way in traditional music in Africa, mm -hmm. whether it's Ganawa, wherever it is. But I was attracted to Ganawa because I heard the blues. I heard the black church. I heard what they call jazz in the Ganawa music. So I said, wow, this is where we come from, you know. So I was instant in love with Ganawa people. And in fact, uh, 26 and 27, 28th of March, we're doing a big tribute in Paris. We're doing two days at a museum in Paris, the Brunley Museum. And we're going to celebrate the Ganawa culture and myself. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw you perform with them down at the uh, World Trade Center okay. area. And I mean, that was just a sp yeah. spectacular. I mean, it seems like those guys have so much energy, it's like can barely be contained. Yeah in the setting of a concert, you yeah. know? You see, because those people, they come out of the ancient African empires, the Songhai Empire, the Ghana Empire, the Mali Empire. They come out of a very high civilization, and they were taken away. Like, we were taken away. We came out of a very high civilization. And our ancestors, when they came here, they came here with nothing, absolutely nothing. So how we were able to transform African rhythms and spirituality and the trumpets and trombones and saxophones and pianos. Why? Because we come from the place of the beginning of humanity. Because everybody started in Africa. Everybody. The whole human race began there, you see. So we have that cultural memory that stays with us, despite the fact we were taken away three or four hundred years ago. You see. Now, have you ever had these moments that um, you were just kind of a little lost in the music, like kind of this feeling like where's the one <laughs> like that ever happened to you when, you, with, when you've been playing with it, or first hearing the Nawa musicians where you, did you ever get overwhelmed or did it always seem to make sense inside overwhelmed I was overwhelmed when I heard Monk when yeah. I heard Dizzy I was overwhelmed I heard Charlie Parker I was overwhelmed you know I heard Earl Hines you know right. when you love music you hear what these guys do with music yeah. you know you just say wow wow amazing but did it take you a, a little while to uh, be able to compose for the Moroccan music or something oh, like yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because uh, just like growing up in Brooklyn, I, I didn't just go to Africa and, and tape a rhythm and say, I'm going to use this. No, no, no. Any more that I would do that growing up, hanging out with Monk or Dizzy right. or Max. You live with the people. Like in the old days, you know the old days you said you would live with your teacher? Mm -hmm. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. yeah. You drink the tea, you eat the food, you just lay back and absorb. Yeah. Just don't come back and, hey, why would that? No, 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 no. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a, a spiritual experience. So after those seven years, well, what, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, there, with the Nawa music, or Ganawa music, you, you you have you find out that you have a color associated with you, right? How 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 that? Could you describe that experience? How you discovered your your color? Well, it made me very humble. 
to realize that we come out of, out of a great, great tradition, Africa. Yeah. It's like uh, when, when you go to the black, black church, for example, when you hear that music in the black church and it gets very strong, you become very humble because you realize, hey, that's mom and pop. You know? right. We can only learn from them. Because some people have the impression you can take traditional music and make it better. No way. You can't make traditional music better. You can only learn from traditional music and take what you need and respect the music and maybe create. You know, you'll never be another Duke Ellington. Impossible. Duke created so much, but, but from Duke I learned certain things. From Monk I learned certain things. Nat King Cole I learned certain things. But see, but you never because these are our masters. Right? The creator set these people down to give us strength, to give us courage, and to give us a way of surviving in very, very difficult conditions, you see. So the music is very, very important all over the world, but it came out of Africa. And that's why you have so many diverse rhythms and diverse colors and diverse stuff because the continent itself is diverse, is right. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe I didn't express the question very well. Um, but there, I think you wrote the tune "Blue Moses," and you said that during a ceremony with the Nile, you discovered that your color was blue. So what what was going on there during that? The ceremony? traditional Ganawa ceremony. Yeah, yeah. And but those things you can't describe in words. It's like music; you can't describe music in words. You can try to describe music in words, but music is magic. It's magic, the magic of nature. And in Africa, the, the music comes out of the, the nature of Africa. It comes out of that because Africa is so rich in, in nature. That's why we call Africa the, the, the continent of art. And this continent has been feeding the planet for years, centuries, with rhythms and sounds and colors, but nobody respects the place of origin. They don't do that, you see. But my life has been so rich because I was able to go to the continent. I've been to 18 countries in Africa. I've always looked for the elders. So when you asked me before about the recording I did with Ganawa, we did, me and myself and Abdel El Gord, the first Ganawa, we went all over Morocco to look for the oldest musicians we could find. You see, and that's how we grew up in Brooklyn. We went with the oldest people we could find because they have certain secrets that young people don't know up until today. You see. It must have been quite an odyssey going around Morocco at that time. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'm so blessed to have that experience to go back to my place of origin. Yeah. It's incredible. Now, one, one thing that uh, one, one, one thing I'd like to say that I respect so much about your music is that it's that your latest albums are some of my favorite albums. And it sounds like you're, well, first of all, you're definitely on top of your game, but it's like you're, you're almost discovering your, yourself even more now than even back in the day. Like you're, you're like realized this, this vision. And when I was listening to this, uh, the spirit, the power of, of, of music, that's the live album with the Ganawa. Um, right off the bat, you have this first song called something like Receiving the Spirit. And it seems like what you're trying to do musically is 
is bring a, a level of peace. You're, you're like almost controlling the, the biorhythms of the audience and getting them ready for something. So when you, what, how'd you get to the point of being a musician where, where like your, your goals were so lofty and, and you know, intense as opposed to, okay, we got to play a set, you know, keep people buying drinks at the bar. Listening to the ancestors and the elders, hanging out with the old people. That's how you do it. Because they were in tune with Mother Nature. They had no television, no disco, mm -hmm. no mobile phones, no computers. So the elders were totally in tune with Mother Nature, you see. Yeah. Some of the Ganar rhythms come out of, the, out of, a, of a, the gallop of a horse. Because Mother Africa, the people listen to the insects. They listen to the sound of the wind, you see. And that's how music is created, because Mother Nature is the original orchestra. And that's why two all the giants were in tune with, with nature, because our parents were in tune with nature. They were in tune with the creator. Because first you have to recognize that there's a creation first. Then you become a musician after. Hmm. You see, first of all, you got to respect the creator, whatever name you give the creator. But we come from a higher, some, something very higher than us. That's extremely important. And that's why almost all the giants of our music went to the black church. Because the black church was an African ceremony in the United States. And when you went to that church, you were no longer in the United States, you were in Africa. Hmm. Yeah, Because the music lifted the spirits of the people. Music is supposed to touch your heart. Music is supposed to, to do something to, to move you. Because we're all walking musicians, all of us. Your heart, your drum, your voices, your sound. So music is meant to do that. You see, and especially in Africa, music was created for that purpose, to serve the people. Music for dance, music for a funeral, music for a child being born, music, music, because music is the first spiritual language of the planet Earth. Before all the other languages was music, and African people were taking music to a very high level. Why? Because the nature of Africa is, is so rich. So rich. As soon as you touch the continent, the music changes. North, southwest, wherever it is, because the continent itself demands this, I believe. You see. And that's why when you with people, traditional people, are very humble. I go to Africa, I go to Africa as a student of music, because we're dealing with the, the mystery of, of Mother Nature. And uh, that same album that Spirit, you have this great line that fits so well in. With with the Nawa, you can kind of sing da 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 da. Is that um, an actual Nawa line, or is that something that you heard that just you felt it, it would fit perfectly? It just, <laughs> just happens. Just happens. It just happens. <laughs> that's why. That's why the traditional people they say God is the real musician. Right. And we're just messengers. Who knows where these things come from? For any of us, any of our composers and musicians, where does it come from? We don't know. But that's what they say. They say the creator is the original musician, and we're just messengers that sends us messages at a certain time. And I believe that to be true because my life in Africa has taught me that. Then I was able to focus better on my life in America, able to focus better on my mother and father, what they were telling me. Understood better the blues, you know. I've been listening to Louis Jordan now for two days. And I grew up with Louis Jordan, 
But listen to him now. I said, this man is a great healer. Because when you listen to this music, you smile and you laugh. Right. And African music is very important. You have to be able to have humor in your music. If you don't have humor in your music, nothing is happening. Yeah. Mm. And Dizzy, Monk, Charlie Parker, do all those people, they can play something that make you laugh. So peanuts. Yeah. 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 It's a healing force. It's a healing power of music that we retain. Hmm. So is, is, from what you're saying, it sounds like you don't spend a lot of time stressed out thinking, I can't get it, <laughs> you know, working on a certain musical thing. Myself, that's, no. And that's not your... your no, your because thing. you know why? Because I, I know so little. And when you're dealing with traditional Africa, you, you, you realize how little you know. You don't know nothing. You think you know music. You know nothing. Yeah, because, you know, in Marrakesh... When we first, in the 60s, we used to have the traditional African festival of traditional music. You have people coming on horseback, people come on camels playing music, people different playing all kinds of music. And to sit there and try to notate this music, you don't get it. You don't get it. That's a European concept, the way it's done like that. Right. But they, gotta, they take it on another level. Just like I hear Mother Nature. They listen to the birds. They listen to the insects, the sound of wind, you see. The original dance, the birds, the birds dance, they sing. So they were in tune with nature, you see. So we hear this music. When you listen to the real music, you become very humble. Yeah, you go to school, but you go to school of spirit, you see. Hmm. Wow. Well, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> Did you do any, uh, when you were there, did you actually ever have like a te formal relationship with a teacher and learn some percussion or, or anything like that? Well, we played together, but, but after, after listening with, with the musicians, you know, mm -hmm. when I first played with African drums was in Nigeria. I played with, you know, there was a man named Bobby Benson. He had a club in Lagos called uh, Cabin Bamboo. And all the musicians would come there, all the West African musicians. And one night I played with five African drummers. Oh man, those guys took me someplace else, you know, with those drums, you know. Yeah, so I, I have played with different African musicians. Dudu and Dai Rose in Senegal, uh, Babatunio Tunji in Nigeria. I played with uh, different musicians, you know, kora players and whatnot, but only after really respectfully listening and to make sure that, that if I do it, I do it with respect. Right. Yeah. Just like the same way. I mean, I would never play with Charlie Parker. He was a giant, but he heard right. something and he called me to play. Hmm. So that's why I played with Charlie Parker because you, you realize that uh, this music is so incredible, man. Wow. Now, every day I'm so blessed to grow up to hear all these great musicians. Right. Yeah. And uh, would you learn the dances as well? I mean, no, I'm not a dancer. No, I'm not a <laughs> you always dance. <laughs> My wife is from Senegal. Okay. And I learn every day from her. Every day I learn something by just watching and listening. I don't ask her many questions. You see, it's it's a spiritual experience when you when you're open. They say the ancestors when you love the ancestors, they will feed you. They will guide you. 
And I believe that because I love my people, I love Africa, and I love music, and I love humanity. So you put all that together. But humanity doesn't know about Africa. Africa's getting a very bad job, you know, but Africa has always been negative, negative, negative. Mm -hmm. But when you discover the beauty of Africa, and you look and you say, wow, what have African people done in Brazil, in Cuba, in Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Jamaica, United States, wherever you find have you find African people, they've made a major contribution to civilization, in particular in music, because you're going to find a very powerful spiritual music, you see. So in other words, what has Africa contributed to the world? That's always been, that's what my father taught me. Don't look at it the other way around. Because they teach us here to look at Africa from European eyes. Right. Right. But Pop said, no, you look at Africa through African eyes and look and see what your people have given to the world. So when you go back to ancient Egypt, architecture, astronomy, astrology, you know, music, the whole concept of monarchy, you name it, came out of ancient Africa. So do you feel that the, uh, the world has come around a little bit since uh, your father's days? Or? Well, slowly but surely we're breaking down the stereotypes because Unfortunately, the world has been a creation of people being superior to other people. There's no such thing as being superior to other people. Right. Mother Nature has painted us in different colors. Mother Nature has put us in different parts of the planet Earth, you know. And we all do things based upon our environment, you see. But because of Africa going through what she went through, you see, you begin a, a bad check, a bad role. But when you look through African eyes, you say, man, wow, our ancestors were taken to America with absolutely nothing. Nothing. Right. And how how that happened? So to me, I'd like to have been I'd like to have been able to go in a time capsule and see the first African when he saw a piano and sat right. down and touched the piano. Yeah. Because the music that we call jazz, all those titles, is the way African people approach music. Rhythms, spirituality, humor, call and response, polyrhythms, you know, spontaneous creativity, you find in all of our music, you see. So people are coming around because young people want to know. They've been told so many lies about Africa. So now people are slowly starting to discover what this continent has given to the world. And they should be very proud of this continent and very proud of these people. And I'm very proud of my mother and father because they gave me so much. They gave me life. They gave me spirituality. They gave me respect. They gave me dignity. And they gave me a historical concept. Don't go by what they teach you in school. You study at home. So my father had books on Africa in the house, beautiful you know, people. Max Roach, all of us grew up like that. We had incredible parents. So every day, I'm thankful for those elders. Yeah. Hmm. Well, since the, this, this first show we're going to do is, is going to cover the, the African stuff, maybe we should, maybe you can give an a introduction to maybe some of these different albums. So, uh, we spoke about the Uhuru Africa. I don't have a copy. I, do you have on CD the High Life album? Do you, the Uhuru it's, Africa? It's, it's all on uh, the Mosaic. It is? Because I couldn't... Uh... Yeah, on Mosaic. Yeah. All right. The three, three, three CDs. Or mosaic. It's easy to get. Okay. Yeah. I'll try because I, I couldn't find it. You, no. you got the high life on it. You got a Africa. 
you got the date with Coleman Hawkins, myself mm-hmm. and Kenny Durham. You've got uh, a date I did with Roy Haynes and Ron Carter and Cecil Payne. It's a great series. Randy West from 1958 to 1964. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So that's that's it's called like it's a box set or something. A box set. Oh, okay. All right. So I'll try to check that down. Um. So let's talk about uh the, the album Tanja. That was a big uh album that you did, which which used all that Moroccan stuff. But you were, you were playing the electric keyboard on that. Is that right? No, I played, well, one tune, one or two tunes. Uh-huh. But Blue Moses, that's where I, I had to play electric piano. Uh-huh. <laughs> At that time, acoustic pianos were, were outdated. Right. And I was living in Tangier at that time. Where it turned to be my only hit record was Blue Moses. <laughs> so life is something, huh? You never know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, well, I think uh, any, uh, any other last... Um, Advice you got well, for all these people? Me, tell me about your program. About this program that we're going to yeah, do? Yeah. Well, the first thing we're going to do, because I, I got this this grant that I could give you, um, and that it has to be about uh, it has to be about like world music. So that's why I'm trying to stress the African okay. Moroccan stuff. Okay. But then what I'd like to do is present it to them and say, look, let's do something longer, like on your birthday or something, do a half day or a full day of your music or something okay. like that. Sure. So I'll let you know how that progresses, but ideally we'll have enough, maybe with this interview or maybe we could do one more, that that we could take clips from that, play, you know, play an album. I think you got this. enough right now. I All think right. you got a lot. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> well, you got a lot of material too. <laughs> And what's so great, it's all true. Yeah, it's all true. All right. of it is the truth, man. Yeah. I had an amazing life. I look back at my life right. and say, man, Randy Weston, you hung out with Mark for three years. Unbelievable. Just hung out. Yeah. Yeah, because he didn't talk much. But I just hung out with him, watch him, listen. I imagine he had a sense of humor, though. It all had a sense of humor. Yeah. It's very important. Humor is how we survive. Mm-hmm. We never forgot humor. There were things were very difficult for African people, the African American people. We always called upon humor. That's why the Louis Jordans and the Nellie Lutchers and, and, and the blues pants, why they were so important. Because even when things were difficult, they would play something to make you laugh. But that goes back to African traditional society. You have to be able to make people laugh. Hmm. You know, monk could go to the piano, hit a couple of notes, and you laugh. You don't know why you laugh. Right. But that's part of our tradition. Humor, smiling, can sometimes make you survive when things are bad. Yeah. Now, one thing I heard in terms of uh, your, the monk influence is, one, you seem to hit the key like really solidly, no, no hesitation, which I hear in, in a monk. Like, you're not, you're not met, there's no, I, <laughs> I mean, is that something you would say? That you, have you noticed that about yourself? We're, your we're, we're people of the drum. Yeah. Yeah, we're people of the drum. Yeah. We're yeah, you don't get nervous before you play a note. <laughs> of course you get nervous. You have to get nervous. I mean, in my case, if you don't get nervous, man, nothing is happening. Right. But you kind of control that nervousness, you know? And what that means is this, that you, you can't guarantee what's going to happen. You might have had a great concert last night. There's no guarantee you have a great concert tomorrow. Right. You know? So there's always that 
that way, but I think it keeps you keeps you in the ground. Right. You don't get a big ego trip. Yeah, I think nervousness is very important. I know many great artists, they don't say they get a little nervous before you play. You, you can't show it. Right. But it's a way of, hey, you know, you can't, don't go up there and feel that's what's going to happen. You got to make sure you, you give 100%. And, you know, go back to an earlier question, because this is something I struggle with. As a musician, I have a tough time getting the balance between giving the people what I think they want and then what I think is really the best thing out there. And it seems like when you're performing, you've really control. You you've conquered that, and you're you're really delivering, you know, what your your vision. So how do you get to that point? By hanging with the elders. <laughs> by by being in touch with the ancestors. Because if you stay in your generation, you can learn a lot, but at the same time, you learn very little. Right. Because you don't have the opportunity. Like I, when I do master classes, you know, I tell people, I say, look, you put on some African tradition music and just let it play. Don't analyze it. Mm-hmm. Just let it play and do whatever you're doing. Because music is spirit. It's spirit, you know. And the more you get into music, like, man, I got some 1928 Duke Ellington played stride piano. Blew my mind. We did a concert, it was music of James Reese Europe up at uh, Aaron Davis Hall two years ago. I use banjo and tuba, and I try to write music of 1915, 1912. Very difficult, because, man, those cats could swing. Like Duke said, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. But music, you can go any direction with music. You can be an entertainer, you can be whatever you want to do with music, but you have to decide for yourself, what do you want to do with your music as a musician? What do you want, what's, what purposes are you learning music mm-hmm. for? For me, the purpose was to unify my people, let the world know about the beauty of my people. And that's what I learned from the elders. You listen to Ellington, my God. You listen to that orchestra, man, you just, you just watch a Duke, you watch, watch those guys, you watch Count Basie, they, they dress beautifully. They couldn't stay in hotels, they, had to, they couldn't get on trains. They were disrespected as a people, but they had that pride and that dignity. So I said, I gotta go in the same direction. Dizzy Gillespie, Dizzy was writing music about a knight in Tunisia, he writing music about Kush, you know. All those people, they had that kind of dignity that our parents gave us. No matter all the oppression, no matter how to try to tell you that your color is not beautiful, try to tell you that you don't know what's going on, try to tell you you have no history, but they kept us in tune with nature. And today, you see more and more Africa everywhere now. You see Africa everywhere. Everywhere I go now, people talk to me about Africa. Uh, Forty years ago, why Africa? What are you doing? Why Africa? Because they didn't have the proper education. Now, what is needed is to get the truth of African civilization in the schools, to get it in, the, in Hollywood, to let people know about this incredible continent and how much is cut that has contributed to the world, you see. So as a musician, you have to decide which way you want to go. But for me, respect and learning where music came from in the first place and respect that tradition. And it's African, you see. So for me, that's the key. Yeah. Hmm. 
Man, so what, what's what's next? What, what are your plans? Same. Everything is always the same. <laughs> Nothing changes. <laughs> Hope I can make the next gig. No, we're playing for Billy Strayhorn uh, this Sunday. And the 4th of April, we're doing a special thing at Brooklyn College, myself and Robin Kelly, talking about the history of African-American music in Brooklyn. Because mm. we have tremendous history here, which has been left out. People don't realize that the greatness of Max Roach he was not only just a great drummer, but Max Roach was a composer, he was an activist, he was an incredible musician. So we want to bring out the spirits of our ancestors. So we're going to do that on the 4th of April at Brooklyn College, you know. It's going to be with Robin Kelly, myself, and, and the people at Brooklyn College. So if you have a chance, come okay. out. And that's, a, that's a, like a discussion lecture. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're going to have the trio. We're going to play maybe oh, okay. 40 or 45 minutes. But in other words... What is music? Like when I do a master class, I say, okay, you're a musician? Tell me what music is. And you'd be amazed that people get, they panic. <laughs> what is music? What's the origin of music? Silence. It's amazing, you know. I said, well, how are you going to learn to speak English if you don't learn the alphabet? You see. So to learn music, which is what you've done, you've gone to Ghana. Right. You've gone to Ghana because you want to know more about music, you see. That's it. So in the process of really getting into music, we've got to go back to Africa. And man, when you go back, you realize how little you know about music. Right. <laughs> Whenever we would get our people, we go to school up until today. Because they can take one note and wipe you out. Louis Armstrong hit one note on that trumpet. Coleman Hawkins hit one note on that tenor saxophone. They know the power of sound because music is basically sound, rhythm, and harmony. But it comes from the universe. And our ancestors were in tune with the universe. That's where music came from. You see. So is that your answer if someone said, what is music? I'm sorry? If someone said, what is music? Yeah. That's your answer? Yeah. Well, my answer, music is magic. Music is a mystery. It's a mystery, but it's our first language of the planet Earth. And all people on the planet have their music. But do we, do we respect each other's music? When I play Japan, if I play Japan, I always want, I want to hear some of the traditional music of Japan. Mm. You see? If I go, I want to hear traditional music. Because when you hear the traditional music, you understand better the people. The music and the food, these two things. Wherever you go on the planet, you, you understand the people better. Now, you uh, explored some Chinese music as well. Yes. Um, how'd that come about, and what did you discover in it? Because uh, two of the great civilizations was Africa and China, and they had much contact with each other thousands, thousands of years ago. And some of the original Chinese dynasties were from Africa, you see. So when you go far, far, far back, you see the whole connection. And myself and Min Chao Feng, a wonderful musician from China who plays the pipa, you know, we went to the Guggenheim where they had 5,000 years of Chinese history, you know, and we learned a lot to show that the African people migrated. Civilization began in Africa, and from Africa, we went to Europe, we went to Asia, and wherever African people went, they brought something with them, you know. Mm. Incredible story, but a beautiful story. Just like our music is so beautiful, you know. And was it a little... Uh, was it tricky to play a piano with the people? Because I guess the tuning yeah, is a little different. But again, it was spirit. Yeah. yeah it did not not, uh, not notes, not theories. No, 
It was spirit, you know. Me heard me. She heard me play the piano. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear her. She heard me play in Atlanta. She heard me play a solo concert. She said, "Oh, I never heard nobody play like that before." She said, "I want you to come and hear me." She came to my house and took our instrument and played. And when she played, I heard the pentatonic scale. Right. So then I started studying Chinese history. I found out Africa and China had much contact with each other, you see. So I'd have to look at a map, but is this, were they going through ships or? Uh... Oh, in those days. <laughs> Who knows? Right. Ships, by land. I, but it was definitely a connection. And we studied the Shang Dynasty, you see. And that was an African-Chinese dynasty. Even the mask of African faces. That's why you see on the, on the album Capera, mm -hmm. that's an African map. That's a Chinese African mask, you see. So we've been cut off from world history, and we should because the planet is too small now. It's too small. So like when I had a restaurant in Brooklyn, Shasta is very important for me. Darius Milho is very important for me. You know, Louis Armstrong is very important for me because it's the music of the planet Earth. And all the composers... They describe their place of origin, all of them. But Africa has been kept in the dark, but now it's changing now. I, re I read somewhere that, I can't remember which composer it was, but Charlie Parker used to go around the city with maybe Ravel in his pocket, or maybe with Shostakovich or yeah, something like that. It's all our music, because we're all Earth people. Some idiots separate us and say some people are superior to other right. people. It's all our music. All belongs to us. Yeah. So, so what are your, your hopes? What, what, what would you like to see in the next... What's happening right now? It's not an accident we have an African president in America. It's not an accident. Africa has come back now. African spirituality has come back. You see it everywhere. African philosophy, African religion, African music, Africans in politics. Africa, you see, Africa has come back because that's our place of origin of the whole human race. And you know, in the, mother, mother, the way of Mother Nature works, you know, whatever rises, fall, goes down. So Africa was the first civilization, went all the way down, but now we come back up again because the people need African spirituality now. And you hear it in our music. If you don't hear it any other way, you hear it in our music. You hear it. Yeah. You say, wow. You know, we say, it's just music. Wow. I'm excited. When I hear our music, I get excited. I say, wow, this music is wonderful. So it's come back. And that's why Obama is symbolic for me of African spirituality beyond politics. He's like a prophet sent down from the Creator to bring us back. So that we respect and love each other as earth people, as one humanity. And that's what this music has always been. Because you remember, Louis and all those people at that time, black people and white people could not be together. Had us completely separated, you know. But the music was so powerful, it broke down those barriers. Mm. You see? So it's a spiritual force, and certain giants have come on the planet for me to come and take us on another level. Monk said, you can take music and go this way. Duke said, you take music and go this way. Billy Holiday said, you can go this way. Art Tatum said, you can go this way. And on and on and on. And when we just look carefully at these people and what they've contributed to world civilization, it blows your mind. You know? So that's what I'm happy about now. I see this change slowly but surely. 
of the recognition of the continent of art, which is Africa. And I'm very happy about that. That's going to take a while. It's going to happen overnight. But I've seen changes I never thought I would see. Right. Yeah. You know, one, one thing I'm, I was curious about, this, I just have this vision of, of you guys in Max Roach's apartment and and maybe, you know, who's at the door? Oh, it's Monk or something like that. So when all you guys are hanging out, uh, is it, it's kind of festive, everybody's kind of partying, that kind of thing. Is, is that, is that everybody's the into music, serious about music. These mm-hmm. people all live. Melville Liston, that great woman, lived music. Monk lived music. They didn't want to know about anything else but music. And music is the spiritual language of the planet. And that's why these people are so great. They didn't talk about anything else. Those idiots put the drugs and the alcohol in our community mm-hmm. to try to destroy us or try to put the music as something inferior. Music? No. All these people, whenever we saw them, it was music, music all the time. They lived music. You know, we should probably talk about Melba Liston a little bit because she plays such a big role on, on so many of your albums. So maybe uh, you could tell me how, how that association started. I heard her with Dizzy. Dizzy Gillespie, was a, he was so great because Dizzy Gillespie, I'd never heard a woman play trombone before. And Dizzy had Melba in his orchestra. He had Lee Morgan, Charlie Persip. He had that great orchestra playing this incredible music. And we had never heard before. Right. Because we grew up with Basie and Duke and the great Oxford. And Dizzy went somewhere else. When I heard Melba listen and heard her arrangements of my reverie, I introduced myself to her. She moved to New York. And I asked her to do my first recording of Seven Waltzes for Children. I was always interested in children. And so we worked together on Little Niles, which was Seven Waltzes for Children. And from that point on, we just collaborated. We had the same spirit. We had a great love for our people, a great respect for our people, great respect for elders, and we were both musicians. But Melba, she didn't want to know about anything but music. Like all the jazz, that was it. Our life is music. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she was able to incorporate, like, all these different cultural stuff. Ooh, she I mean, was she amazing. could do anything. She was a great arranger. She wrote for Gloria Lynn. She wrote for the Supreme. She also wrote uh, reggae music. She did everything in music. She was amazing. Because because of her, I met Mary Lou Williams. And I'd be with these two ladies. Wow. Two queens. Wow. Incredible. You go to school with these people. Yeah, they're wonderful. Wonderful. So of, of all these great people, who who were you like most in, intimidated when you, were, when you met? It's not intimidation. It's not the word. It's like, uh, how do you explain? Well, uh, maybe in awe of, of all these. I don't know. They're all on the same level. A Langston Hughes, a Coleman Hawkins, a Dizzy Gillespie, uh, a John Henry Clark, the great historian. Uh, uh, they're all on the same level. Like, these people are here to give us a certain wisdom, give us certain direction, you see. So they're all, for me, they're all on the same level. I've been blessed to have been able to meet most of them because by being in New York, they all came to New York. So I was very lucky that way. Yeah, but no, they're on the same, no one above the other. No, no. I could tell you Coleman Hawkins because he was my first idol. Right. Because of him, I discovered Hank Jones. I discovered Sir Charles Thompson. I discovered Dizzy. I discovered Monk through Coleman Hawkins. But... 
at the same time, you got Lester Young. I met Lester, he was incredible, you know. I met Roy Elvich, you know. So just on the same level, teachers, people who taught us to take music and do it another way. And and at this time, when you were with these people, did you feel like history was being made, or did it just feel like no, every day? That was just our everyday way of life. Yeah, just the way we live. Yeah, that was the black community, because we couldn't go in the white community. Right. So that was our that was our way of life every day. We just we lived that, you know. You know, that's a big shock to everybody, though. What's that? That that that's your answer, because <laughs> we always imagine, you know. You know, it's like these these titans of history. You know that 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 everything is so historic. But but this is your no, because again, going back to Africa, there's no separation between the musicians and the people. Right. You don't play to hear a concert in Africa. Right. Music. You know, and in 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 Brooklyn or in Harlem, it was the New York Times who told you whether you played well or not. It was that black audience. Right. And man, if you didn't play well, you're in trouble. <laughs> and that's, and that's true in the Caribbean. That's true in Africa. That's true in South America. African people, our first language is music. They're very serious about music. My, my mother, my father, he never played music. He could tell if I made a mistake on the piano. Don't ask me how, but that's our first language is music. So we didn't have that separation. And in terms of, I think you took some piano lessons, but... It, it, it didn't really, wasn't a big hit for you. No, because I was so tall. I was six foot <laughs> at 12 years old, you know. So I wanted to play ball. Right. <laughs> but my dad, he made me take piano lessons. And then you, uh, apparently your only other formal training was like, uh, you studied theory for, for yeah, a while. Yeah, I went to a, a music school in Brooklyn called uh, Parkway Music Institute. Uh -huh. And I studied there. Yeah. Just for, like, for a year or so? Yeah. So... Did you have perfect pitch or something? How did, how did it Not all come at together? All. Just hanging out with the guys and watching and listening. Remember, listen never took a, a arranging lessons. No, but you hack and you watch and you listen. And you have those big band rehearsals and you people tell you, okay, don't do that, do this, mm -hmm. you know, and you listen. You listen, you watch, and you listen. Very important. Yeah. Then you become part of what it means to be a musician. Because for me, a musician is the highest role a human being can have. Everybody would like to play music. Everybody. Generals, presidents, everybody would like to play music. <laughs> so if you can play music, it's a great gift. Now what are you going to do with this music? Where's it going to go? That's the key. Because music is for everything. You know, you name it. But I've been lucky. And also, we, we grew up, we played all kinds of music. You played Italian weddings, Jewish weddings, Polish weddings. We did right. all kind of music. No such thing as a jazz musician. To be a musician, mm -hmm. you had to play everything. But what a great experience. Right. So yeah. you never, it never bothered you that you're like, oh man, I wish I was doing something else other than this uh, Jewish no, wedding. No, because through music, I met the best people on the planet Earth through music. I'm sitting here talking to you now because of music. Right. Because music is the star, not Randy Weston. Because music is a spiritual force coming from the universe. And when we get on that spiritual train and we respect, we meet the best people on the planet. People in sports, people in history, you name it. Music, because everybody 
like some kind of music. So when you're a musician, that's a very high honor. Yeah, very high honor. Absolutely. Now you said uh, I've I've seen you in concert where we're part of the the. The enjoyment of the concert is that you speak very eloquently between the tunes. You can go ahead. And um, in, in concerts, is, is you stress that people have to get back in touch with nature. But you were born in Brooklyn where nature might be a little hard to come by. So, <laughs> so when did this connection because, hit you? Because music is the highest point of nature. It's music. That's why people don't realize that. You see, because in Western society, we try to get away from nature. We're superior to birds and animals and right. insects. We, we are some sort of superior people. No. Why? Because music is the highest form of nature for me. You can't see it. You can't touch it. But it touches you. Hmm. So when you, when you went out to the Berkshires, though, was that a kind of eye-opening experience? Wow, the beauty of nature, you know? And I, I met Leonard Bernstein, I met Lucas Foss, I met Aaron Copeland, I heard the Boston Symphony Orchestra while I was up there. I went to Jacob's Pillar, I discovered the beauty of Europe in music. It was great for me at the music inn, I heard John Lee Hooker, I heard Manly Jackson, so I met Langston Hughes, so man, wow, it was incredible. Everybody was into music, and music was music, there was no category. Right. This is a better music, this is another kind of no difference between the Boston Symphony Orchestra and John Lee Hooker singing the blues. No difference at all. It's music. And what does that music do for the people? And why the blues is so important, which is the foundation of our music, because that music, the blues, which came out of Africa, I hear this blues form all over the continent, because it's a music of communication, direct. Like I, when I give my talks, I love my baby, but she don't love me. No other kind of music, and you get that direct message like the blues. And that's why it's so powerful. And that's why to play jazz music, when we grew up, you gotta play the blues. And that's why all the great jazz musicians play the blues bands, with no separation. Because it's a music of communication, direct. I think uh, Charlie Parker told uh, Charles Mingus, if we lose the blues, we lose everything. Uh, he's absolutely right, of course. Of course. I've heard musicians run all over the instruments. I said, okay, let me hear you play the blues. Couldn't do it. But that's what our music is based upon. The simplicity of art. The creativity of art. And, and to play the blues, you have to be very creative. Because it's a very basic form. So you got to give a lot. So when you hear Monk and Charlie Parker and Digital, those guys play the blues, you say, wow, how do they play like all of that? on a simple form like the blue. Right. But the blues is the test. It's Charlie Parker is absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. But the tendency has been you become more westernized, it's got to be more technical, it's got to be more uh, cerebral, you know. Cerebral, yeah. Cerebral. You know, how much yeah. technique you have, whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But our music, the technique is what can you do with the blues? All right, let me hear what you can do with the blues. <laughs> That's the test. Right. Oh, yeah. And the blues also goes inside the, inside the notes between the keys. Exactly. Oh. Because it's, it's, it's nature. It's, it's mother nature. It's, it's coming from, a, from the spirit, from the soul. You know? And that's why, you know, I went to Mississippi. I spent one week in Mississippi. 
hung out, went to Robert Johnson's grave, hung out with all the cats, learned about the blues, and I said, wow. I said, this music is incredible. But it says, oh, the blues, uh, no, it's a powerful music. Yeah. It certainly has had some staying power. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, 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 because it's a music of communication, direct. So do you think that, that music today is, is, is losing a lot of these essential Yeah, it's things? because we've got it into machines now, you know, computers. And, yeah. You know, everything is uh, cell phones, all that stuff, you know. So we're getting away from the beauty of what happened before. We had a tendency to believe we're it. We're it now because we make better machines and we're more advanced than the people before us. No, people before us were better in tune with nature. Because they listen to the birds, they listen to the sound of thunder, they listen to the sound of the ocean. They were to Mother Nature, because Mother Nature is the original orchestra. Improvisation comes from Mother Nature. It rained, the snow, it's hot, it's cold. So our music comes from that. So what they call improvisation, which is really should be spontaneous creativity, because you can improvise and create nothing. Right. Absolutely nothing. But why? Because that's why I say for me, people I've met, you know, they're all in tune, they listen to the sound of nature. Yeah. So it, uh, all this stuff that you said, it's, it sounds like it's almost been, uh, it, it sounds effortless. Like it sounds like things just kind of came together, you know, you oh, just no. love music. Oh, man. <laughs> I paid a lot of dues. Yeah. <laughs> But my parents paid more dues than me. Right. Yeah, and as long as you're in tune with them, you're okay. One of our great historians always said, never forget the slave ship. Anytime you have a problem, think about the slave ship. For all people, how I asked us to survive that and came and created this music. It's amazing, you know. So as long as you're in tune with the ancestors, I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. So when you hear me speak like that, yeah, I had a lot of years of struggle, all that stuff, you know, but compared to what I went through, what my mother and father, what my grandfather, what they went through, I went through nothing in comparison. So as long as you're in tune with them, you have to be very, very happy and very blessed to be able to meet the people I've met and the places I've been through music. Yeah. Wow. Well... The last thing is I'm just trying to think, what am I going to kick myself for not asking you <laughs> when I leave? But uh, I don't know, man. I mean, basically, I could har harangue you about all these famous people, more and more stories. <laughs> Tell me about breakfast with Stevie Wonder or whatever, you know. But, <laughs> but uh, I, I know your time is short, too. Uh, any any last things that you, that you no, feel like we should no, I think I think you have it all again. Yeah. It gets back again to ancestors. It's simple as that. No matter how great we are, we come from somewhere. We got mom and pop. We got all the way back, you know. And the tendency is to forget about them, you know. But not me. Every day, my mother, father, right there. John Henry Clark, the great historian, to the left. Langston Hughes on the right is my mother, father, right there. Every day. I talk to them every day. Thank you for making me take those piano lessons. <laughs> Thank you for taking me to black church when I didn't want to go to church. You know? Right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And uh, did you stick? Uh, are you still? Uh, you still go to church? 
No, but no. it's inside. Right. You know, it's inside. It's all spirit now, it's spirit. You have to go to church for spirit now. But that training is very important when you're small. Right. Yeah, because that's what they teach us. That's how you learn to respect that there's something higher than you. You know, so you don't get to go on an ego trip because you got a lot of money in your pocket or whatever. Right. Or you're good looking or whatever, mm -hmm. that you're better than everybody else and you have a certain color. No, 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 no. They teach you something there. And that stays with you. And that, so whether you go after, it makes no difference. But you got that spirit inside of you. Yeah. And, and how do you, uh, what do you want your, your legacy to be when people look back at, at your whole body of work? What do you want Just to what say? it is. Just what it is. Africa, yeah. open people up to the beauty of Africa. So that's my legacy. Nothing else. And and do you have any any tips? I mean, you're, yeah, you 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 look like you could be thirty years younger than than your <laughs> biological age. So uh, any tips for? Uh, no. No. No, because mom and pop are responsible for me. Oh, okay. I can't describe that. <laughs> I have nothing to do with my it. My grandmother says it's the teeth. You got to take care of the teeth. Yeah, maybe she's a grandma. <laughs> Huh? They yeah. all teach you something. Yeah, oh yeah. Right? I'm, that's why I floss it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they teach you something. They teach you. Those people, man, they teach you. When you're young, you don't appreciate it, you know. Right. They tell you things maybe 30 years later. Oh, that's what he meant. Oh, that's what she meant. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you taking this time. Oh, and, my uh, pleasure. Make me a copy. Yeah. Know? I can actually, do you have a computer? Because I can give it to you right now. Yeah. I'll get my baby. All right, that's it. That was my conversation with Randy Weston, jazz legend. Um, thanks for listening. There are 250 more episodes to keep you busy here at NYC Radio Live. Um, so keep poking around and keep in touch. Hope to see you out at something soon. Peace. <laughs>